You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It feels really good to be productive, but a lot of the time it's easier said than done, especially when you need to make time to learn about productivity so you can actually, you know, be productive. But you can start your morning off right and be ready to get stuff done in just a few minutes with the Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day podcast. New episodes drop every weekday, so listen and subscribe to Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. That's Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Light Watkins, and this is the Earn and Invest podcast. While I love going to new places, I hate traveling. Well, more specifically, the act of traveling. Getting on an airplane, checking your luggage, or worrying if there will be enough space in the overhead compartment. Recently, I've gone on a few quick trips to give talks in various places. I throw everything I need in a backpack and then wait till the very last moment to board the plane. No worries about overhead space then. I like traveling light. I prefer to have very little baggage. Well, my guest today not only travels the world with little more than a small carry-on bag, but also has used similar ideas to help people learn how to declutter their minds and embrace a concept called spiritual minimalism. Light Watkins has written three best-selling books, speaks on enlightened leadership, and hosts a top 50 global podcast on personal development. He's a spiritual minimalist and has been living from a single backpack since 2018. His latest book, Travel Light, Spiritual Minimalism to Live a More Fulfilled Life, came out July 18th. Light Watkins, welcome to Earn and Invest. I have to admit, while reading your book, the question came up over and over again, Tell me, is Light Watkins your natural name? And if not, how did you become how did you come by it? No, I was not born with the name Light. But Watkins is the name, the last name I was born with, though. And okay. interestingly enough, the name Light was born out of a conversation that I was having back in 2005 when I was living in Los Angeles and I was with a buddy of mine, and we were discussing people who I met who had changed their names. So I I knew a guy named Mother, Hmm. who was one of my yoga teachers. I knew a guy named Truth, who worked at this uh, health food store. And I met this guy named Pineapple Head, who worked at a (laughs) vegan restaurant. (laughs) And so I was telling my friend about Truth and Mother and Pineapple Head and all the conscious. And I posed this hypothetical question to my friend, I said, if you were going to change your name to a word like truth or mother, what would you change it to? And he said, ocean. Hmm. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. And he said, what would you change your name to? And I said, uh, nothing was coming to mind. And my friend starts getting a little bit frustrated with me. So he starts counting down five, four, three, two. And I just blurted out light. And that was it. That was the end of the conversation, except for some reason, that I, I don't have a logical explanation for today, the, the idea to change my name to light just kept percolating. Now, I wrote about that in my recent book, Travel Light, about this idea of the heart voice. And the heart voice is guiding you and nudging you in certain directions that don't make a lot of sense sometimes. And so now, in hindsight, looking back, I recognize that nudging as my heart voice telling me to change my name to light. But of course, I resisted it because who wants to be, you know, walk around being called light? And I was very, I I liked my birth name, actually. But the instruction was to take on this new identity. And so I went to one of the guys who had changed their names. And I said, you know, how do you do it? Just to get some more information. You know, do you have to file papers down in the courthouse? Does it cost money? How long does it take? And he said, 
what do you want to call yourself? And I said, light. He said, okay, well, all you have to do is just start introducing yourself as light. And then over time, people will start referring to you as light. And I just so happened, I'm giving you the long version of the story. I just so happened to be teaching a yoga class two weeks from that conversation. And that yoga class was on the day of my birthday. So I figured, okay, what better time to rebrand your your name than to do it on your birthday? And what better place to do it than in a class where you're going to tell 50 people at one time instead of just introducing yourself to one person here, two people there, because you can kind of change your mind. But if you tell 50 people at one time, you're locked in. So I made the plan mentally to make the big announcement on my birthday Cut to the yoga class. There's 50 people in the class. At the end of the class, I make the announcement. Guys, from now on, I'm going to be going by light. And people just kind of looked at me like I said, I'm going to go downstairs and get a coffee. Because this is Los Angeles, right? So everybody. (laughs) That's not too abnormal there. Yeah, That's not too abnormal. Everyone's rebranding themselves. (laughs) And I found myself being a little disappointed, you know, because I was hoping for more of a reaction. And as people were filing out of the class, I noticed that there was this woman in the back corner who had these big wide eyes. She was looking at me like she had seen a ghost. So I kind of locked eyes on her and we're walking towards one another. And she's someone who I met previously about two or three months before at a restaurant with her little five-year-old son, Tristan. And she found out I was a yoga teacher. This is 2002. So this is back before everybody and their mother was a yoga teacher. So she said, I'll come to your class. And I thought, yeah, right. You're not going to come to my class. But she actually came. She came two other times. This was probably her third time. So we get to each other and she's like, she's having a reaction. And I go, what's going on? She goes, oh my God. I said, what? She goes, oh my God. I said, what is it? She said, earlier this morning, her son, her five-year-old son, Tristan, came into her bedroom and she could tell he had had some sort of dream. And he said, mommy, mommy, I want to change my name. Hmm. She said, honey, what do you want to change your name to? Light. I want you to start calling me light. So she had that conversation with her five-year-old son literally two hours before she came to that class where I announced that my new name was light. And so, of course, the hairs in the back of my neck stood up. And I took that as a confirmation from the universe that I did what I was supposed to do. And so something that I write about now when I talk about following your heart is that it oftentimes comes with some sort of confirmation that you did what you were supposed to do. And it usually ends up playing out in a very unexpected way. But it, it, it feels expansive when you, when you have that confirmation. And that, and that gives you more um, incentive to follow your heart again the next time. So that was one of the moments that actually made me really lock in on this idea of following your heart. We're going to talk about following your heart and some of the other principles of spiritual minimalism in a moment. But before we get there, I mean, you're talking about a new identity. You're talking about rebranding. But I feel like you started in what maybe I'd call incorrectly a more concrete place. You thought you were going to do advertising out of college, right? I aspire to be an advertising creative until... Until I got my first job at a boutique advertising agency in Chicago. And um, and it was great. It was actually like a dream job. You know, I was working as a junior art director and spent the whole day coming up with ideas for various advertising campaigns. So it was very unstructured time. We could come in there. You could just like, you know, hang out, walk around. You could. I mean, we didn't have like pool tables or anything, but, you you know, there was no like desk cubicle situation and you're just coming up with ideas and whatever it took to come up with an idea. You just did that. If, if it meant walking around outside, going to the park, talking on the phone, whatever you needed to do. But at the same time, I looked at the people who had been there the longest, you know, the vice presidents and the creative directors and people like that. And they were all really nice, sweet people, very supportive. But I kind of noticed that they were they were sort of locked into this career path that it seemed to be very little wiggle wiggle room outside of, you know, a little vacation here and, you know, maybe a little off time there. But for the most part, it was a nine to five job. 
And I decided that, hey, this thing is always going to be here. And I don't know if I'm, I'm ready to just lock in on a nine to five career path for the rest of my life. So let me take some time away and just travel the world and experience different cultures and different things and see if this is what I truly want to do before I actually do it. And so three months in, I resigned and Turns out that was my one and only <laughs> nine to five job because after I was traveling the world, I, I got into fashion. I started becoming a fashion model, which is in a, in a way you're a solopreneur because you're responsible for finding your agencies, working out, going to castings, et cetera. And you work with an agent, which is kind of like a manager, but still it's your business. You can control what you, how you present to, to various clients. And if you get the job, great. If you don't get the job, you keep trying. And in that experience, it was wonderful too. It was very superficial, but it was still, it gave me an opportunity to travel, to meet a bunch of people and to get rejected a lot. And so I, I became immune to rejection through my, my modeling career. And then when that ran its course, after about seven years, I decided that I wanted to do something a little more purposeful. And that's when I moved to Los Angeles and got into uh, yoga and meditation Help me as, with a, that. as a teacher. Help me with that jump, right? So we're talking advertising to modeling, but I still mm-hmm. think that's a far cry from teaching yoga, teaching meditation, and eventually taking the path to spiritual minimalism that you took. There had to be more steps in there. <laughs> there, there were more steps, actually. I'm, you're very astute to point that out. <laughs> so I was living in New York, and the thing with modeling is that you don't have to work that much to pay your bills. You know, you get maybe two or three jobs a month, which is, you know, you come in and you shoot maybe four looks, which takes half a day and they'll pay you $2,000 or they'll pay you $1,200. And then you get another gig like that, you know, a week later or two weeks later, and maybe this is a full day job where you're shooting 10 looks and you get paid $2,000 or $3,000. So you can do two of those and you're grossing, you know, four or $5,000 a month. And so I had a bunch of downtime. And in the downtime, I would go to the gym. I would go to Barnes and Noble and, and read books and, and look through magazines. And I would hang out with whoever I was in a relationship with. And at one point, I was dating another model. And she and I were hanging out at her place in Brooklyn. And we were going to go to dinner or something. And she was taking a very long time in the shower. And I was just in her bedroom. And she had a bunch of books on her shelf. And I'm looking at her books, just trying to occupy my time. And I come across this book called Conversations with God by Neil Donald Walsh. Now, I'm from Alabama, which is the Bible Belt. So I grew up in the church, but I never considered myself to be a religious person as an adult. I didn't really connect with the religious philosophy, and there were a lot of holes in the logic of religion, if you could even call it that, maybe the mythology. So I couldn't really relate to it. So I, 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 I looked at this book, and I had seen it before, and I just thought it was some religious book about God. But I thumbed through it this time, and I saw that it was absolutely the opposite of that. It was, it was actually a book that was written by a regular guy who also wasn't particularly religious, who had been experiencing lots of challenges in life, and he wanted answers. And so he was in his house one night yelling out to this God figure for answers about why his life was so screwed up, what is the meaning of life, and all these other really practical questions that a lot of us have had who are, who are seekers. And he got this nudge to pick up a legal pad and a pencil and start writing the answers to his own questions. And he realized that he was transcribing these answers. He wasn't coming up with them from his own brain, that they were coming through him. And so he kept engaging in this dialogue, and it turned into this manuscript called Conversations with God and Uncommon Dialogue. And he ended up publishing them. They became international bestseller, bestselling books. They were like three or four volumes. And so I just devoured them. Hmm. And I would credit that as my gateway moment into practices like meditation 
and yoga. So cut to me being at the gym, maybe a few months later, I'm doing shoulder presses on the machine and I see these girls congregating outside of the exercise room. I had broken up with my other girlfriend at this point and they're standing there barefoot with these rolled up rubber mats under their arms. And my hormones said, <laughs> oh, I think they're doing that thing you heard you read about in one of those <laughs> spiritual books. And so my hormones told me to go into that exercise room and see what was going on in there. And I ended up taking my first yoga class. And then I got very, very serious about yoga. I was going for the yoga and not the girls after a certain point. And then through that, the teachers were inviting me to meditation circles. And then I started seeking it out on my own. And so all of that is what prompted me to graduate myself from the fashion path, because I just felt like I, I wanted to do something more purposeful than just standing in front of the camera. And a lot of friends of mine had moved from New York to Los Angeles. And so I decided to take that leap of faith. Something in my, my heart told me to I'm done with New York. It's time to move on to LA. So you eventually become a yoga teacher. You become a meditation teacher. And of course, mm -hmm. you become an author. Travel light, spiritual minimalism to live a more fulfilled life. So travel light, right? Light has a few meanings there, right? Because you're light. That's first <laughs> and foremost. Two, you're traveling around with a little bit smaller version of a backpack. But finally, I believe the light also really is talking about your mental state in some ways. And that brings us to spiritual minimalism, which is what this book is about. What is spiritual minimalism? Spiritual minimalism is the practice of minimalism experienced from the inside out. So let's break it down. Minimalism is where you are doing more with less. So any situation where you're doing more with less, you are practicing minimalism. And then spirituality is any experience that is being had from or being informed from the inside out, from spirit, from essence, from source, from higher guidance, whatever you want to call it, the universe, God, nature, being. So spiritual minimalism is doing more with less, but but allowing yourself to be informed from the inside out. So if the layperson was to say that minimalism is decluttering your house or your environment, then spiritual minimalism, in a sense, is decluttering your mind. Would that be a safe metaphor? I would say, you know, let's just use a thought experiment. Let's say somebody told you, you have to become a minimalist in one month. You have one month to become a minimalist, right? Most people would hear that instruction and they would immediately start getting rid of stuff, cleaning out their closets, cleaning underneath the bed, cleaning out the garage, organizing their clothes, getting rid of certain things, going to lots of trips to Goodwill. <laughs> and then after the month, after the month, a lot of people would assume that, okay, now that I've gotten rid of all this clutter and all this, this junk, then I should be feeling more peaceful inside. Mm. But that doesn't necessarily translate to more inner peace or Zen-like feeling just because you have a sparse apartment, right? And so spiritual minimalism says, instead of immediately going and getting rid of things, and you may that may be a part of it, spiritual minimalism says to to tap into what your inner guidance is directing you to do. And your inner guidance may be directing you to go and start exercising more consistently or to go and have an honest conversation with the person that you're in a toxic relationship with and establish a boundary, you know, or something like that. Something that may not seem directly related to the practice of minimalism, but through that, through you getting into better shape through you cleaning up the, the toxic relationships in your life, you may find that, oh my God, that was the root cause of why I was doing all this retail therapy, why I was collecting all this stuff. I was actually trying to protect myself. And so then after you have that conversation, after you start getting into shape, guess what? You're starting to create more spaciousness inside and you don't feel like being surrounded by a bunch of stuff that you're not using. And so then a natural extension of that is you just want to start to clear out the clutter, get rid of things that are no longer 
relevant for you. So you're, you're, you're approaching the practice from the inside out as opposed to let me let me clear out the outside stuff and hope that it has an internal effect on me. So Earn and Invest is a financial podcast. So often when we talk to minimalism, one of the roads that people get to physical minimalism is this idea of, as you were saying, this idea of soothing yourselves with buying things and purchasing things. And so a lot of people think of minimalism as a nice solution to the issue of spending and frugality, et cetera. Spiritual minimalism is something a little different. Is there a connection to wealth when I'm talking about, and when I'm talking about wealth here, I'm talking about specifically the money type of wealth, because we know there's spiritual wealth, there's all sorts of other types of wealth, but spiritual minimalism and money, are they related? A hundred percent, yes. So there's a spiritual minimalism principle, which is to give what you want to receive. And in that chapter of the book, I talk about, I talk about the idea of an exchange, because oftentimes we hope to get more than what we're giving. And what this does is it sets us up to put ourselves in situations that are going to take advantage of us in some way, some form or, or, or fashion. And sometimes it's it, it's something that we're willingly putting ourselves into. For instance, let's say that you have to take a flight. You have to go from Los Angeles to Atlanta. And you look at the ticket prices, which we all do, and you see, oh, one flight is $99 and the other flight is $500. The $500 flight is a direct flight at one o'clock in the afternoon. And it gets into Atlanta at nine o'clock at night. And the $99 flight leaves at nine o'clock in the evening and it gets in Atlanta at 12 o'clock the next day. And it's two connecting flights, one through Las Vegas and one through Nashville. Okay, with two hour layovers. Sounds wonderful. Wonderful. (laughs) So, on the surface, it looks like that's the cheaper flight. But when you actually go through that process and you're spending, you know, all that time in the middle of the night in the Las Vegas airport eating popcorn and pretzels and then getting on another flight at two o'clock in the morning to Nashville and then spending you know, from five o'clock in the morning until seven o'clock in the morning, eating crap, and then getting on your final flight to Atlanta, by the time you factor in the cost of missing the sleep, the cost of the crappy food on your body, the cost of the wear and tear, the cost of not being productive, and all those costs, that was actually the more expensive flight. That was a $2,000 flight. And actually, the $500 flight was the least expensive of the two. So, recognizing the value of things, the real world value on whether or not this is simplifying my life or this is complicating my life, right? So you can apply that to any sort of quotes investment. Everything in fact is an investment. Everything you're spending money on is an investment. You're spending money on fast food. That is complicating your life. It's going to taste good in the short term, but then ultimately it's going to complicate your life. and You're going to have to pay a lot more money to repair the damage that you created on your body if you're continuing that kind of pattern over and over and over because you're giving less, but you're expecting more back. And actually, it's the opposite. You're going to get you're going to get a lot less back on the back end than you were able to get on the front end. So so looking at life through that lens, it gives us the ability to sort of simplify things. And we can run that calculation quicker and quicker the more we engage mindfully with, okay, is this is this adding to more simplification or is this adding to more complication? And if we feel tempted by some sort of short-term craving, but we run that little calculation, that may give us enough willpower to say, you know what, I'm going to make a higher choice that's going to be more expensive on the front end, but actually it's going to give me back more on the back end. This is actually the, the, the true investment. The other thing is actually a, a, a debt in my life. So your book, Travel Light, really is structured around the seven principles of spiritual minimalism. We're going to jump around here a little bit, but I want to go specifically to principle two, make decisions from the heart. And I heard you say that already in our conversation a few times about what your heart voice led you to do. Right. 
I talk a lot in this podcast about a sense of purpose, and I always have people tell me or ask me, well, how do I, how the heck do I know what my purpose is? And I think I would ask the same question of your heart voice, like, how do you know what your heart actually wants? How do you follow principle two faithfully? So what I recommend in that chapter is you have to split test it. And it's the same, it's the same methodology that internet marketers people who run Google ads and Facebook ads, they do. They split test these ads. They don't they know that, inherently. They call that A-B testing, right? Is that what yeah, I always exactly. hear in advertising? A-B testing? A-B testing? Yeah. Yeah, because okay. they don't assume to know which, which one is going to perform better. So they have to change the colors, change the headlines, change the photos. And over all of these A-B testing experiences, they'll be able to optimize which one is the most engaged one. And like that, we have all these voices in our head and it's hard to know if you've never intentionally followed your heart voice, it's hard to know which one is your heart voice. Because here's the thing, the ego is really good at disguising itself as the heart voice. So, you know, I I found myself back in 2006 getting involved in the real estate. My heart was not into real estate at all, but my ego disguised itself as my heart and said, hey, if you get into real estate, you're going to make a lot of money and then you can help a lot of people with this money you make. But really deep, 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 deep down in places that maybe I wasn't willing to admit to myself, I was being driven more by greed than this altruistic idea of being able to help people. What I really wanted to do was become a meditation teacher. But becoming a meditation teacher didn't look to be as profitable as being a real estate mogul, right? So I chose to sign the paperwork, even though everything in my body was telling me, don't sign the paperwork. This is not the right time. This is not, these are not the right deals. This is 2006. So we all remember what happened in 2007. The real estate market crashed. My intuition was trying to warn me, you know, 4th of July was going on inside of my heart. Like, (laughs) you don't want to do this. (laughs) The grand finale, the whole thing. But I ignored all of it. And we've all had this experience where when we really look back at these situations where you know things went south we had warnings there were interior warnings and so we have a point of reference for what is not the heart voice and then we think we may know what the heart voice is because we've had that too when we've had moments of serendipity moments of beautiful coincidence moments where things seem to flow right it always started with something told me to dot, 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 go to the right instead of the left. You know, I broke my pattern this day for some strange reason. I don't know why. And you end up having these beautiful interactions and exchanges. You went to go help somebody across the street and that led you to some conversation that you didn't expect to have, but it gave you a beautiful insight. So those moments, those inklings, those nudgings, we've all had too, but we just don't have them consistently enough to be able to be conversational in the language of our heart. So principle two encourages the reader to to A-B test those two voices, the ego voice disguised as the heart voice and the actual heart voice. See how it feels after you take a little hop of faith, after you take a little action. If you feel more expansive, then that's an indication that that was probably your heart voice. And after you run that A-B test, maybe 500 or 1,000 times, you'll get clearer and clearer about which one is your heart voice. And then it doesn't mean that you can't let yourself be greedy or follow your ego, but at least you'll know what you're doing when you do so. So when the fallout happens, you're going to be like, okay, I knew that I was not following my heart. And then you can course correct a lot quicker. We are talking to Light Watkins, who has written three best-selling books, speaks on enlightened leadership, and hosts a top 50 global podcast. And we are discussing the seven principles of spiritual minimalism. We're going to take a short break. I'm Doc G, and this is Earn and Invest. This episode is brought to you by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover Sport leads by example. With a visceral, uncompromising, and dramatic feel, this car helps you rise to the occasion. How does it do that? 
Range Rover Sport has powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability by combining assertiveness with signature Range Rover refinement. This is the car that redefines sporting luxury. The new Range Rover Sport features advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, purposeful cockpit-like driving position, and award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. Once again, explore and build your Range Rover Sport at L-A-N-D-R-O-V-E-R. USA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. This episode is proudly sponsored by BetterHelp. Listen, if you're like me, you thought at one point in your life that having enough money would solve all of your problems, and guess what? It didn't for me, and it probably isn't for you. But you know what helps quite a bit? Therapy. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It definitely did for me, and when I used BetterHelp, I found that I was learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowered me to be the best version of myself, and it's not for just those people who've experienced major trauma. You might be like me. Maybe you got to the point where financially you were successful and yet you still found that life's problems hadn't been all solved. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash earn today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash E-A-R-N. Light Watkins is the author of Travel Light, Spiritual Minimalism to Live a More Fulfilled Life, which dropped on July 18th. And we are talking the seven principles of spiritual minimalism. We just talked about principle two. Let's move on to principle three. There are no throwaway moments. And I have to tell you, Light, that almost causes me a touch of anxiety. Because in a sense, I agree, like we shouldn't take any moment for granted, but doesn't that also put a huge amount of pressure on us that there are no off moments too? Like when do we rest and relax if there are no throwaway moments? That's a good question. You know, Einstein said something very poignant. He said, you can treat life as though everything is random or you can treat life as though everything is a miracle. What you can't do You can't treat life as though some things are random and some things are a miracle. So you have to decide, or I should say, you get to decide which one, which experience you want to have, right? Now, nobody can tell you definitively that everything is a miracle or that everything is random. There's no one in the history of humanity that can tell you that definitively. So you get to decide for yourself. And I say, base that decision on which, which belief helps you become the best version of you. So going to the travel light principle three, the no throwaway moments, you get to decide either there are no throwaway moments or there are some throwaway moments. (laughs) (laughs) And which one of those helps you show up better in your life? Which one of those helps you optimize your potential? I make an argument that if you treat life as though there are no throwaway moments, then you are going to be in a better place in terms of what you envision for yourself, you know, down the line. And I'll give you an example, not from this book, but from a previous book I wrote called Knowing Where to Look. And this is a story from my my New York modeling days. You know, so back in the day, I was in New York and anytime there, there was a Whole Foods that opened, everybody would go to this Whole Foods. And and there was a Whole Foods in Chelsea on 7th Avenue and like 24th Street that opened. It was probably the third Whole Foods in in the city. So everybody went there. If you were were inclined towards Whole Foods and health, you would be at that Whole Foods. And so they had about eight or nine checkout lanes and they had a screen above the checkout lanes. And we were like cattle standing in those lines. There'd be 50 people in those lines at any given time. And so they had an employee standing at the front of the line, yelling out the lane number and the cashier number. So directing people because, you know, people are distracted. 
And they had this guy who was this tall, stately African-American gentleman with this deep baritone voice who was yelling out people's lane numbers and pointing them towards their cash register. And he was, he just, he had such presence that everyone was paying attention to him. And that's probably why they chose him for that job, you know, because he, he didn't have to get anybody's attention. You were already looking at him by the time you got to the front of your, of your line. And I just remember thinking to myself, having gone there several times, how beautiful his voice was. Why is this guy at Whole Foods? He should be somewhere, you know, announcing boxing matches or something. Yeah. And cut to maybe two weeks or two months later, I'm in my apartment back in New York and I'm reading the New York Times, right? Which is the premium journal of the city. And on the front page of the New York Times, I see this photo of this guy that I couldn't place. Like, why does this guy look familiar? It was the guy from Whole Foods. So some editor from the New York Times was in that Whole Foods standing in line and she was so captivated by this person's voice and his his whole presence that she decided to profile him. So the whole article in the front page above the fold was of this guy from the New York Times from from Whole Foods and and all about his backstory and how he landed there at Whole Foods and and so I don't know what happened to this person after that article was published, but I can imagine all of the opportunities that he got as a result of this profile. Now, he could have seen that job as just, you know, some throwaway job. You know, this is back in like 2002 or something. So he probably wasn't getting paid more than 10 or 12 bucks an hour. Right. And he could have just been mailing it in and, and hating it and not wanting to be there. But the way he showed up, you would have thought that this guy was being paid a million dollars to work that job. And it just goes to show, you know, you may not have a world class position. You may not have a world class salary. But if you show up in a world class way everywhere you are, somebody's going to notice. Somebody's going to notice and it's going to inspire somebody to take an action that could benefit you or could benefit other people. It's like the Emerson quote, you know, our chief want is someone to inspire us to be what we know we can be. And we all have stories from our personal lives of people whose paths we've crossed who inspired us. And they may not even have known they inspired us by the way they they just went about their life in some some extraordinary fashion. So that's what no throwaway moments means. It means it means just show up in a way that. That would indicate that you were being paid a million dollars, even though technically you probably weren't. I believe principle three flows really nicely into principle four, especially when you're talking about the way we interact with the other people in our lives as we are in those moments as we interact in such a way that may change their lives. Principle four is give what you want to receive. Am I wrong or is this pretty much the golden rule? Pretty much the golden rule. Okay. Yeah, exactly. But here's the thing. Just to make a distinction, again, we talked about value earlier. We want to look at life as though there is no free lunch. Everything has a value. And if there's not, no obvious value, then a value is going to be assigned later. Right? For instance, if you're staying at your friend's house, they're giving you a place to crash for free and you don't have to pay the two to $100 for a hotel that's not actually a free exchange because that person may be expecting you to, to wash dishes, to keep the place clean, right? To converse with them all throughout the night about the problems that they're having with their, in their relationship. And you may feel obligated because they're giving you a free place to say they're helping you save $200. Well, actually, if they're keeping you up all night, just like the plane example, and you have to be up early in the morning and be sharp and make, make, good decisions, that actually is costing you $400, $600 that that poor decision-making is going to ultimately lead to. So we just want to understand that, you know, when I'm considering staying somewhere for free, it's not actually for free. And maybe you even lead with an exchange. You say, hey, I've got to be up early in the morning. So normally I would love to be up with you all night drinking and whatever you got going on, but I can't do that this time. Are you okay with that? Or if not, I'm happy to stay in a hotel. 
right? So having that conversation may not be a conversation that you would want to have with your friend who's doing you supposedly doing you a favor, but that's the cost of you being able to buy back your privacy that you're going to ultimately need. And if if your friend says, oh yeah, yeah, cool, no problem. Now you've made a a sufficient exchange to stay in that place and you can get your needs met and they can, you know, they have an understanding of, of what those needs are. And then maybe, you know, you take them out to dinner the next day to listen to all their problems. But in any case, there was an exchange. You dictated that exchange on the front end. You know, I need to have my privacy tonight. I'll take you out to dinner tomorrow and everybody's happy. What happens, though, is that we think people are going to respect our space or our time almost naively. And they're thinking, oh, now I have a, a place, a person to, that I can rant to. And and every time we get into a friendship situation or even a relationship situation that goes off the rails, usually it's because somebody's expectation was off or maybe both people's expectations were off and that exchange was not clear. And and when we start to recognize that there's always an exchange, there's no exceptions to this, there's always an exchange then we can playfully engage in these exchanges in a way that helps to meet everyone's expectations and be clear about this. One more example, one more point about this is when you're in a relationship, we tend to think that everybody has the same definition of love, the same definition of safety, right? The the same definition for these common words that we use with each other. You don't love me. I don't feel safe. A lot of people, a lot of men specifically don't know what a woman means when she says, I don't feel safe, right? What we think about with safety is you're protected. You're physically protected. No one's going to harm you. You're in a house, blah, blah, blah. What they mean by I don't feel safe is emotionally. I don't feel connected to you. I don't feel like you're, you're paying attention to me or, you know, these kinds of things, which a a lot of times are very confusing for, for us men and our male brain. So what's, What's needed in that situation, the exchange is an open dialogue around how are you defining these these terms and how am I defining these terms? And maybe what you work out is that this is not the right situation for you. Maybe their expectations are in a completely different place than your expectations are when it comes to love and what's required to show love to the other person. And then again, that gives you more information and it allows you to pivot or make any adjustments that are necessary to move forward in a fruitful and productive way. So we're talking about the tenets of spiritual minimalism. You put seven in your book. We're not going to talk about all seven. So please, if you're interested in this, go buy the book, read about all seven. (laughs) But you were talking right there about pivoting and expectations, which makes me want to talk about principle seven, which is all about, of all things, choicelessness. You say mm-hmm. embrace the freedom of choicelessness. Help me understand that with the lens of what you were just talking about, how you make choices and this is an exchange between people and you give what you receive. But then really, I feel like principle seven talks a little bit about some type of inevitability. Am, am I wrong when I think that? I'm not sure what you mean by in- inevitability. What do you mean by that? I know what a and, word means, but what do yeah, you mean by Yeah, but that? in a sense, like choicelessness means that that you don't have a choice, right? That what's going to happen is going to happen and it's inevitable. You can't do anything about it. Well, so I'm not saying that necessarily. I'm saying the situation is what it is, right? So for instance, let's go back to the Whole Foods example. That guy, let's say he's making $10 an hour. And let's say that's that's the situation he's in, right? He he can't make more than that in that position. That's the position. That's what it pays. Obviously, he can go and work somewhere else. Maybe let's say for whatever reason, he can't go work anywhere else because he has a family and his kids or whatever have some condition. They need an extra, you know, funding for that condition. So he's choiceless in that matter. He's not going to make one hundred thousand dollars tomorrow. And if he recognizes, okay, this is where I am. This is what I have to do in order to feed my kids and take care of my family. Let me put everything I have into this situation instead of mailing it in in that situation and then, you know, sitting around and and wishing that he was in a different situation. And so now he's not putting 
a lot into his current situation, in which case he's not going to get noticed, in which case he's not going to get written up, in which case he's not going to have those other opportunities. So there's a little bit of a, a trust that I'm I'm encouraging the reader to have. And this is through taking all the steps. Not by the time you get to the seventh step, you've already supposedly, you know, prioritized cultivating a connection with your inner guidance. You've already been following your heart, making your most important decisions from your heart. You've already been treating life so there are no throwaway moments. You've already been giving what you want to receive. You've already been following your curiosity. You've already been finding comfort in in uncomfortable situations. And so after doing all of that, if you find yourself in a circumstance that you just can't get out of, then you have to understand that that is a part of your path. This is an obstacle that you are facing that navigating this obstacle is going to give you some sort of access to your potential that you may not even realize is there that's then going to help you get to the next milestone, the next stepping stone in your path. Yeah, it reminds me, and I believe this is Buddhist, but I'm not as learned on some of these things, but this idea of embracing life as it is, right, as Mm -hmm. opposed to as it should have been or as you wish it was, it's embracing the life that's in front of you right now. And when you do that, when you do that, it's kind of like, you you know, those of us who are old enough may remember those, those magic eye puzzles where it just looks like a bunch of chaos, a pattern that doesn't really make a lot of sense. But if you, you look at it and you soften your gaze, eventually a symbol will emerge from the chaos. And you'll go, oh, that's a pyramid, or oh, that's a cat, or oh, that's a ball, right? But other people who try to see it can't see it because you're focusing. You can't focus and allow the image to emerge from the background. You have to really soften and really surrender to not being able to see it. And then that's when you see it. And that's what present moment awareness does with for us. If we get present to what's happening right now and, and take our attention off of what didn't happen, and what could have, should have, would have happened if we had been in a different situation, then we start to see opportunities. We start to get insights. We start to have epiphanies that emerge from this present moment that we would have been blind to otherwise. And this is only something that you can experience if you're surrendered to the present moment. Somebody could tell you that that's what's happening. Oh, I've got this wonderful insight. I've got this wonderful idea. But if you're always focusing on trying to find the shortcut and the hack and how am I going to, you know, would have, could have, should have, if you're doing all of that, you're essentially blocking yourself from, from those wonderful things emerging. And you're going to feel like, well, there's not enough time and there's not enough this. And you're going to get into that sort of scarcity mindset, but you, it's self-generated. And the good news is you can reverse that if you can cultivate enough internal spaciousness that then allows you to be more surrendered to the moment. And then you start to see things that help to guide you along your path a lot, a lot easier and simpler. So let's end this conversation with the thousand foot view. What is the goal of spiritual minimalism? Is it happiness? And is that even something like we should be shooting for? So the, the, the idea behind spiritual minimalism is is the antithesis of what most people are already doing, which is trying to achieve their way into happiness. So we're operating as though, and we may not know this consciously, but if you look at our daily routine, it becomes clearer and clearer. We are investing a lot of our time, attention, energy, and resources into achieving more money, more sex, more architecture, more fancy cars, all right, more things. And then in the back of our mind, we're thinking, as soon as I get that thing, I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be fulfilled. I'm going to be in a better place than I'm in right now emotionally. Right? That's the thinking. Spiritual minimalism says you need to reverse that. Instead of trying to achieve your way into happiness, go ahead and cultivate happiness right now where you are by doing your inner work, your meditation, your gratitude, right? Doing all those inner practices, you cultivate more fulfillment inside. And then that will inform what you choose to try to achieve and go after. So I'm not anti-achievement here. Achievements are necessary to live a purposeful life. But a lot of times we'll try to achieve something that ultimately drains us, 
right? We'll take on a whole career path just for the paycheck, but it's a soul sucking nine hours or eight hours out of our day that we ultimately need a weekend from, and we need a vacation from, and, you know, we use all these other coping mechanisms in order to be able to keep showing up. And we're driving our little fancy luxury car to this job that we hate and we're crying and, you know, and then that starts to manifest itself physically into illness and sickness because there was always an exchange. There's an exchange in doing something that gives you anxiety, that makes you feel depressed, that makes you feel disconnected from yourself. You're, you're paying a price for that. And so it may look like on the surface, I'm making half a million dollars, but actually you're paying half a million dollars to go to this thing. And whereas, you know, going and becoming a chef or going and becoming a social worker or something that feels more aligned with your fulfillment that you have inside, that may look on the surface like it's only paying $75,000. But when you factor in the paycheck for your soul, it's actually paying half a million dollars. And it's going to allow you to see things and make connections and do things and be you know, recognized in ways that you can't imagine right now. And if you're truly lit up by that work, you may find yourself on some sort of presidential panel in the White House you know, 10 years from now because you took that first step in leaving the high paying, soul sucking job and getting involved in the lower paying, fulfilling job that allowed you to help a lot of people. And so I say in the book, you never have to worry about finding your purpose. Just be relentless about doing what you're curious about, what you're naturally curious about. Keep taking those steps and ultimately your purpose will find you. I think that's a really good place to end this conversation. And when I think about talking to you about spiritual minimalism, you know, a lot of what we do here on Earn and Invest is we talk about getting our money in order so that in a sense, we can put it aside and live lives of purpose and intention. And what I like to take away from your message is that part of living in your purpose and intention is getting rid of all that noise. On the outside, that might mean getting rid of stuff. But on the inside, it might mean finding some quietness, some peace, and decluttering enough to actually listen to where your curiosity will take you. And I think that might be the purest version of purpose there is. I want to end this episode the way I end every episode by asking you what's up next in your life and where we can find you. First and foremost, tell us about the book drop. Book came out on July the 18th, and it's everywhere books are sold. And so for right now, I am I have my own podcast that's still ongoing. I have an online community called The Happiness Insiders. I'm doing a lot of keynote speaking and I'm still writing. I'm, I'm, I write every day. I write a daily dose of inspiration email that I've been doing since June of 2016. And just excited about getting this book out into the world and introducing this concept of spiritual minimalism. So people can find me on my website, lightwatkins.com and on the socials at lightwatkins, L-I-G-H-T Watkins. The book is Travel Light, Spiritual Minimalism to Live a More Fulfilled Life. Light Watkins, thank you for being on the show. Thank you, Doc. That's a wrap. Earn and Invest is now part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to this show as well as other fine podcasts. Okay, Okay, if you're listening to this, then this rant is probably not directed at you, but I'm going to say it anyway. If you've listened to the whole episode and now you're listening to me talk, you're probably a fan of the show. You probably stick through the episodes whether you love them or not, whether it is a topic you want to listen or not. I often get a criticism when I have episodes like this, because this is not an episode, our episode today with Light Watkins, about strict financial issues. We're not talking about Roth IRAs. We're not talking about how to invest exactly. We're not talking about alternative investments. We're talking about mindset, but not only mindset. We've gone as far as to talk about spiritual minimalism, your heart voice, meditation, yoga. And I can see some people shaking their heads and saying, what the heck is a financial podcast doing 
talking about things like yoga. Well, here's the way I feel about it. The truth of the matter is, you can get your financial information in many different places, and it can be pristine and beautiful and wonderful. You can learn how to invest. You can learn how to save. You can learn how to side hustle and build a business. And all those things that are going to make you get to that net worth you want to be at make you financially independent. I could repeat all those things here, but honestly, they're people who do it better. They're more engaging podcasts if that's what you're into. The reason most people don't succeed is not because they don't have the tools available to succeed. It is 1,000% mindset. Yes, there are some people who are born poor, who are not privileged, who can't get it done for various societal, physical, and emotional reasons. But assuming you're listening to this podcast and you study personal finance and you're worried about your money, if you are not going to get there, you, my audience listening right now, if you are not going to get there, it is going to be mindset. It's not going to be that you didn't know how to invest. It's not going to be that you didn't know how to build a business. It's not that you didn't have the skills. What's going to hold you back is some type of emotional roadblock that you have put in front of yourself that keeps you from getting where you want to go. So why do I do these episodes on the softer topics? Why do we talk about things like yoga and meditation and spiritual minimalism? Because for most people, they are utterly essential to moving forward. Maybe not those concepts specifically, but getting a hold of your mindset and making sure that your mind doesn't get in the way from doing those simple things you need to do is going to be your biggest struggle in getting where you want to be, not only financially, but in life in general. So it is a risk. Every time I have an episode like this, people say, oh, this is a bunch of hocus pocus, or because it's not something they can calculate or put on a spreadsheet, they say it's not something that they can rely on to make a better financial future. But I don't think that's right. You might believe in what Light Watkins talked about today, or you may not, and that's not really the point. The point of Earn and Invest is I want to expose you to all these different ideas. How can we get control of our mind? How can we create the right mindset in order to do the right things, not let our emotions get in our way, and live the lives that we truly, truly want to live? So again, I realize that I am giving this diatribe, I'm giving this rant to people who've probably stopped listening to this episode or looked at it in their podcast player and decided not to listen to it in the first place. But I think these conversations are important. I think we have to focus on mindset. I think it's worth looking at non-traditional ideas when it comes to mindset to do better. Because I got news for you. I'm not going to teach you anything about your finances that you don't already know, that you haven't already heard, but I might, I might teach you how to look at the world in a different way, an alternate reality, and it might just be what you need to hear. All right, I leave things running just for a few minutes as we chat afterwards as an after show. Um, anything we didn't talk about, like anything in your book or in your message, you're like, boy, I really wish he talked about this. I think it was great. I loved it. It's fantastic. You're a great interviewer, and I appreciate you reading the book from cover to cover. It's, oh. it's, uh, it makes for, I think, a much more engaged interview. It, it is my pleasure. And, you know, I've talked to a number of of physical minimalism experts mm-hmm. and i've seen very much in their trajectory and their evolution we often stop talking about the things fairly quickly and so mm-hmm. we move much further into that more cognitive realm which i think you're addressing quite a bit with spiritual minimalism is this idea of of getting rid of your stuff is really great and you can keep that can keep you busy for a few weeks or a few months But ultimately, as you were saying, it doesn't necessarily solve any problems except the problem of having too much stuff. (laughs) 
Same with finances, same yeah. with coaching. You know, I, I'm yeah. a, a part of a group of life coaches and these guys were all, their lives were all screwed up. <laughs> you know, you can't <laughs> get around doing the inner work. You have to do the inner work in order for everything else to kind of fall into place. So I just like to cut right to it with, with spiritual minimalism. Yeah, we did not talk about your traveling or going in around with just a small pack, but of course it fits perfectly into your message. But do you think that'll end at some point? Do you think at some point you're going to say, look, I really want to settle down more, travel less, maybe buy a house, like do some of that, or maybe you already own a house, but do some of that kind of more traditional stuff? 100%. It will end at some point. You know, I was I was actually a plant-based um, person for 12, 15 years. Never thought in a million years I would ever not be plant-based. And then one day, my heart said, okay, it's time to start eating salmon again. And then, you know, now I'm I'm not plant-based at all. I still eat, enjoy lots of plants. But it's just, I, it was really interesting because it showed me, wow, something I was so even fundamental about at one point in my life can completely change. And so things change. And that's part of it, just going with the flow of change, right? Because I wasn't fulfilled the being a vegetarian wasn't the source of my fulfillment. Being what living out of a backpack isn't the source of my fulfillment. The fulfillment told me to live out of a backpack. And when the fulfillment says, okay, time to buy a house, I'll get a house. Tech moves fast. So keep pace with the Daily Crunch podcast from TechCrunch. With new episodes every day, this podcast will give you a quick overview on everything you need and should know about startups, new tech, regulations, and more. Listen to TechCrunch Daily Crunch now, wherever you get your podcasts. That's TechCrunch Daily Crunch, wherever you get your podcasts. You care about your money. Of course you do. So why aren't you listening to SoFi Daily? This podcast will keep you updated on the latest news in the stock market and how it could impact your financial life. Stay on top of what's happening. Listen to SoFi Daily, wherever you get your podcasts. That's SoFi Daily, wherever you get your podcasts. 